Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Michael and Nate are continuing their discussion of why we do things in church. And today we're talking about giving. Why do we give in church? And is it true that pastors only want your money? So we hope you'll just sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey, Michael, how's it going this week? It's going well, Nate. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good, but I feel like we haven't talked in a minute. You went to Australia, mate. Did you talk <laughs> like this the whole time? I did. No. Um, everyone there <laughs> they did. made fun of you mercilessly, I'm well, sure. There were, there were one, one tour guide said, I don't have an accent. You have an accent you know, um, and then smile real big. Cause he was laughing, but, um, it was, was this your 25th wedding anniversary? Our, trip? our 25th wedding anniversary and our, um, our church family gave us a gift to help us That's awesome. pay for this trip. And so, um, we just, we booked it, you know, uh, COVID, uh, took a downturn and travel opened up and we decided, you know, we could do this. And so we did and went down there in, you know, it was 105 here in San Marcos, and it was uh, 55 uh, in uh, in Sydney. So it was yeah, because it was their winterish, wasn't it? Yeah, like it is. It's their winter ish. Winter as summer as it was here, it was winter there. Now their winter is, you know, like a Texas winter, or well, I shouldn't say Texas. Yeah. I should say South Texas winter because uh, there are parts <laughs> of Texas that actually do have winter, but. Um, but here, you know, our, we call winter kind of a joke. If it ever snows, people are like, it snowed one time in San Marcos and we got out in our yard and we made a snowman. And there were some of our neighbors who came over and took a picture with our snowman because they had never built. <laughs> they <laughs> didn't, didn't know what to they're do. Like, I don't, we don't know what to do with this stuff. Um, and we're not, That's we don't funny. have the, we don't have the clothing to get out here. And it, of course we had some residual clothing for, you know, cold winter uh, and for ski trips and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was nice. It was winter. Uh, the people were great. Uh, they, I mean, they weren't, they weren't like Texans. Uh, they were very friendly, uh, kind people, but, uh, they weren't like, you weren't going to have a long conversation with a stranger standing in line for something, uh, like you might hear yeah. or somewhere like that. But, um, right. That's kind of like when I went to New York city or even Southern California, people may be nice, but they're not southern nice and southern nice is a bit of an oxymoron because they will chew you up and spit you out behind your back oh yeah but to yeah. your face people will want to talk with you and chat yeah. with you yeah, i think yeah. in the north people are more direct but they're also more like open and honest right sure. up front like they're yeah. just going to be like i don't like you yeah a little a little and more transparency you just there. deal with it yeah, yeah and, so and aussies you know uh, they were they were they were just frank and honest and straightforward and uh, but they were kind about it. They were polite. They weren't, uh, you know, uh, there was, uh, I didn't experience uh, any rudeness really that I can 
remember uh we and we did things that we don't normally do because we don't live in a place that has a a subway or a light rail or we certainly don't have ferries like uh water yeah. waterborne ferries um and uh and then bus systems we we don't have a I lot have of pixie dust ferries at my house when i have like little <laughs> kids over <laughs> yeah no we, we were talking about we we've never ridden a like a boat to get from one part of a city to another part of a city um yeah didn't you know didn't occur to us that that was a thing but sydney is a harbor city it's right on the yeah. edge. most most australians live on the edge of australia uh because the interior is uh, a little inhospitable it's a wild. yeah it's a little inhospitable to to humans so um, yeah yeah it was really, so it was for really me, great, great trip but every every accent i try ends up becoming australian <laughs> so yeah so in dungeons and dragons i've been practicing your accent where you shoot the sound forward <laughs> and we're going on quests and but it's always like would you like to go fight the dragon mate mate <laughs> you know, it's like yeah i don't i'm always like it's, it's just a hybrid of yeah. everything in australian so, i had i had to watch myself a little bit because when i'm listening when i'm talking to someone and they have an accent and it's distinct and strong i i tend to start you know mimicking that and and didn't yeah, want to didn't want to offend anyone and so and then you come home and you're talking a little uh-huh. bit australian with oh, your yeah. texan accent makes yes sense. and certainly using they they had some phrases you know like they don't have yield signs they have giveaway signs um and so there's yeah. just the, giveaway yeah giveaway giveaway uh, mate and, yeah and they were driving i mean i it was so weird didn't know how to walk across the street because I didn't know where the car was coming from. I couldn't like I would look yeah. for the car coming from right. the the right, but it was you gotta be- look the right direction first. Yeah, and so it was a, it, you know, some of that was a little bit. Uh, I'm glad we didn't drive anywhere. That's why we did mass transit. Like we got there, we yeah. bought we bought a mass transit credit card thing that you just right. you scan it in when you get on, whatever. Uh, we preferred, I think, the subway. The light rail was nice. It was very smooth. Uh, the ferry was cold <laughs> because it was it was <laughs> yeah. really fast. Winter over water. Yes, winter over water was was a little bit yeah. chilly, and we didn't necessarily dress for uh, for you know really cold. We dressed for moderately cold, uh, and so it, it was a good time. We had a great time uh, there. Shelly got really excited one time because I I asked um, I remember I asked a, an officer there a question about where something was and. And, uh, and I got called uh, a bloke and a mate, or he, I, I, he called himself a bloke and called me mate. And Shelly got plumb beside herself because oh. she was like, we heard bloke and mate in the same sentence. It was awesome. You know? <laughs> and you just said plumb beside herself, but just Texan. So <laughs> Texan phrases. Yeah. Plumb beside <laughs> herself. Well, I think I should call you a bloke. A bloke. <laughs> or maybe you only call yourself a bloke. I, I don't know. I could call I'm you that sure. all day. Yeah. I'm not sure maybe how a mass. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, I, I'm not sure how all of it works. We tried to pick up on the slang and I'm sure we started using some before we left, but uh, we, right. weren't real, we weren't real sure if we were doing it correctly. Uh, you might have butchered it a little bit. Might. Speaking of mass transit, uh, my wife's company is being bought out by a large company from the West Coast, oh, huh? San Francisco, and they have mass transit. So a lady comes to their clinics and one of their clinics is in Tecumseh, which is kind of a rural area. Right. So she gets an Uber to Tecumseh 
for the day because she doesn't own a car. She doesn't rent a car. She's flown in. She's depending on Uber and any other mass transit things. And she realizes really quickly she's in Oklahoma when <laughs> no one from Uber will come pick her up from Tecumseh. Like no. she can't get a ride. She got one out there somehow, but she cannot get a ride back to the main office. So there's no one had to drive her. Yeah, there's no somebody from the. So we're we're not acquainted with mass transit. Everything's so spread out here, and we don't have good mass transit. Like Oklahoma City decided they were going to put cable cars downtown. No, they don't put the old timey looking ones. Our cable cars look like buses. Yeah, I was like, that's a great idea. Just put a cable car in that looks just like a bus. And then, you know, <laughs> the whole thing, this and nobody uses it. It's just like, I mean, there may be a few people, but it basically was just for show. So we are no. we're, we're coming up in the world of mass transit. Apparently, they used to do they used to do more mass transit. Matter of fact, in, um, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a number of years, obviously, uh, the 50s. Uh, they had uh, a cable car, kind of a train uh, or a train. It wasn't a cable car. It was like a, a train. trolley and uh, it, a train. It went all the way from El Reno to downtown Oklahoma City. Really? Uh, yeah. And there was a station at Southern Nazarene University. The Bethany station was right there across the street or and it, and it ran. So, you know how there's a median in the middle of Route 60 uh-huh. in the uh, 39th Expressway going down? Uh, in Oklahoma city, there's where that median is, is where the tracks for that train used to run. And they called it the interurban. And there, there was a man who grew up, uh, in, uh, there was an interurban sports bar when I was in college. Oh, yeah. maybe named after that. Same, maybe so the, um, I, I was walking through, uh, the, the library one day at Southern Nazarene university. And I saw, uh, a hand drawing of, uh, it was, it was, uh, hand-drawn, but then uh, painted with watercolor, a picture of the inner urban station in Bethany, Oklahoma, uh, from a, a lady who was a, she's an alumni of SNU, and she had, she had created this image, and it was hanging there in the library, and you could buy prints, and it had a little, um, like a tag on it that told you how to go about purchasing a print. Or it had the, actually it had the it didn't have all that it had just the lady's name who had painted it. So I went to the alumni office and I said, "Hey, I need to get her contact information because I need to buy a print of this." And so I then contacted her through the alumni office and uh, got a print of it because when I was growing up, there was a man in our congregation uh, who was one of my father's mentors, um, and his name is Claude Northcutt, and he great guy. We loved him dearly. He led worship. He was an English high school English teacher, but he had been a pastor at one point in the in his career. And he always told me stories about the inner urban station and how he rode the oh, last wow. the last train, like you know the last train to Clarksville. Like I just heard. like he rode the last one. He worked in downtown Oklahoma City, and it let him off. He's the last person on the train as it went out to El Reno, and it was going to park and never run again. And it, and it came oh, from wow. Oklahoma city and he jumped off at the Bethany station. And that was the last run of that train ever. Oh wow! And he told, he would Incredible. always tell me about that. Right. Like that's how he got to work. Yeah. And, um, and so when I saw that, I had to go, uh, I had to buy it, you know, so I bought it and, and bought a print of it and took it to him. And me and my brother went, he was in a nursing home. Uh, his wife had passed, uh, his children were getting up in years. He was, uh, and, and so he really needed some care. He had Alzheimer's or dementia. 
And um, he just didn't remember where he was most of the time. And we walked in and he had no idea who we were. And I pulled out that image. Uh, you know, we had it framed and matted and, and said, do you know what this is? And he said, that's the inner urban station in Bethany, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And, yeah. um, and then he looks over the top of the picture and he goes, Mark, Michael. And he knew us like his, like that seeing that image brought his memory back to him. And we had a delightful conversation with him before we, and that was the last time we ever saw uh, brother Northcutt alive. But uh, anyway, so there was a train. I said all that just to say there was a train that ran through Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, um, what was, what would you say was the strangest thing to you in Australia? Like the most, it wouldn't have been strange to them, but you encountered and you're like, Oh, this is different. Oh, well, besides, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of things that I didn't, um, you know, just signs that I didn't understand. Um, the, uh, but the strangest thing was that they drove on the other side of the road from us. Uh, yeah. The second strangest, probably well, I was looking for a dollar bill, you know, to pay for something and they, and it was all, all right. coins. everything was coin. Uh, they, Oh really? Yeah. They're one and they're two. They had a $1 coin and a $2 coin. Um, and then their money had like a cellophane strip in it. They said it was new to them, but it, like there was a clear spot in it right down the middle. Uh, on the coin? No, on the on the paper money. So they oh. I did find a bill. So they did have paper money, their, just not one. Their dollar. smallest gotcha. denomination in paper is a five. Um, yeah. And then they have a 10 and 20 and a 50 and 100. But um, well, in Canada, they have the loony and the toony. The one and the two. <laughs> They have a, yeah. That's what they call them. They the the, and, the and I asked, I said, what do you call the $1 and the $2 coin? What do you call them? And they said $1 and $2. Uh, that's, <laughs> they didn't have any, any fun names for them. Anything, which I figured they would, but you know what? Turns out right. Australia, they just name things exactly as they are. Like that's, that's just, they didn't, they didn't have a bunch of funny names for everything. Um, yeah. It was, it was, there were a lot of slang things that I probably can't pull to mind right at the moment, but there was right. a sign that Shelly took a picture of while she was in the restroom. Um, and it's, and it said uh, it had a picture of a person standing on the seat of the toilet squatting down. Um, and it, and then it had a, a cross through it that said, don't, this is not how you use the toilet. Don't stand. <laughs> you, sit, you sit on it. Um, Just in case. Just and so that was a yeah that was a strange thing. I think probably because they uh, there was a large uh, Asian population, and you know some Asian toilets are just at ground level. Oh yeah, and you stand yeah above them. The bidet. And, yeah, and so uh, you know they had that uh, that kind of thing. One of one sign in a in a restroom said, "Do not wash fruit in the in the toilet." Um, That's probably good yeah good well I, in the toilet in the sink toilet is how they ah. refer to that was the strength like, oh, okay call it the toilet we call it the restroom they call right. it the toilet um not just the, the only thing i learned in Fr french was how to say where's the bathroom and they call it the water closet or the uh -huh. say uh-huh this wc wc but, <laughs> yeah well speaking of strange things and speaking of money Oh yeah. Do you ever you ever feel weird like when you have somebody that visits your church and this this season we're doing things we do in church. You kind of feel weird when somebody's there and you take up an offering because you know in the back of your mind there's this kind of in the in the aura in the yeah. ether around there's this thing of all those pastors want 
is your money. Like that's, that's kind of what people have said over time. And then you got these pastors who live in multi-million dollar houses and oh. things. And, and that, you know, it kind of reinforces this thing of, well, they just want your money. So money. I thought today, maybe we could talk about why that we do the things we do in church. Let's talk a little bit about giving. Why do we give in church? And what's that all about? Sure. Sure. Um, I think probably uh, just because we've been talking about this Australia trip and we're now talking about giving uh, and some of the theme that you just highlighted is important. Um, there, We had this tour guide. We went out to what they call the Blue Mountains, and it's mostly covered in eucalyptus trees. And uh, so they're, they give off a blue haze because eucalyptus, when it's in the air, makes, you know, reflects light and makes it look kind of like really? a blue haze. Yeah, uh, it's not. I mean, you know, it's not like blue, blue, but it's bluer than right. the normal air. And uh, so we go out to this place and, you know, you think uh, we got this tour guide. This is their job. They're just going to do their job, but they're getting paid to, to take us around and show us things. But we got some we got a guy uh, named Robert and he wasn't he was there because he wanted to be there. Like, yeah, he got paid, but he was in right. he was in retirement years and he did it um, because he loved his country and he loved his city in particular which was sydney and he had grown up there most of his life and so you felt like this guy was doing his job not to make a buck but because he loved doing what he did and um and so my hope as we talk about giving is that uh giving is because there's passage scripture that says uh, the lord loves a joyful giver um and and it, there's not a passage of scripture or a verse of scripture that says the Lord loves a disgruntled giver and he'll take your money anyway. Like that's not out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really um, the hope is that you give because you want to. You give because right. you believe uh, that I'm going to take 10% of my week and I'm going to give it to the purposes of the church uh, and to the things that the church is doing. Now, this is a really hard conversation. We probably should have invited somebody who is not a paid member of the body of Christ. Um, yeah. You know, uh, but currently. It's a little awkward for us sometimes. Sure it is. Sure it is. Sometimes I, I like to get my, you know, the lead trustee or steward off the church board to, uh, to talk about finances because then right. it's coming from somebody who is fully participating. Uh, not that I'm not fully participating. Uh, we do, we give our tithe, uh, we give 10%. Um, and we do that, um, because it, it's something that we were trained up to do. Uh, and, and there, you know, there's this weird little button in our online giving that says, would you like to make this, a uh, uh, repeat thing? Would you like to, I forget how it words it, but basically you can set it up so that it'll automatically withdraw the same amount from your checking account every month through the online giving app. And I cannot, right. I cannot make myself do it. I mean, it's, you know, it's basically the same uh, every month and it comes out on the same day, basically the same day every month, but I have, but there's something weird to me about doing that. I don't want it to be automatic. Uh, some pastors have their, their 10% withdrawn from their check and just given back immediately, um, through the church's finance system. Um, I feel like there's some responsibility on my part to give it, uh, and to make that decision every month to feel the sting 
of giving or to feel the joy of giving or whatever it is, you know? So that seems, yeah. seems important to me. I don't know. Uh, but well, yeah. and I think, yeah, there's a whole cultural thing. And, and I think it's shifted in our time. I remember in the eighties and nineties, there was this big thing called the seeker sensitive movement. And so a lot of churches decided that they were going to cater everything they did to the wishes of the people outside the church. And I understood why they did that. Like church had kind of become disconnected from society. So it was like, we don't want to create barriers in people coming to church. But one of the, the things that happened in that whole movement where we said, what is it you want to see from church? And we'll do those things is then in some way, the church became about what it could offer me. So like anything else in our culture, you know, when you go to a restaurant, it's like, if I like the food, if I like, so the church became a consumer thing. And so we got into the habit of receiving from the church. So there was this idea of like, okay, if the church has stuff for my kids, I'm going to take them there, um, my, the youth program, whatever. So what can I get out of this? And all throughout scripture, it's the exact opposite. It is that when you worship, you bring something. It's when you worship, you bring actually the very best. So it would be yeah. the first fruits of your crops or the best of your herds. It was this idea of, so I trust and I believe that God has given me everything and now I, I give this back as a thanks, kind of giving thanks, giving praise that God has given me all 100%. I take this 10% and I lay it back at the feet of God, trusting that God will take care of me, giving right. the best of who I am. And so, so there was this whole idea all throughout the Old Testament of worship as bringing something. So you would bring your very best. I think sometimes that's why people wear suits to worship. Uh, although sometimes that can become a classism issue, right? But but the whole idea is whatever I'm doing, I bring my best to worship. I bring the best of what I have. And that's that kind of obedience you're talking about. The first, maybe the first check you write is, I still write checks because I don't want to pay that convenience fee. <laughs> but it's like the first thing we do every week is like, we're going to give to the church because we believe all of this has come from God. And it's actually an act of worship. Um, yeah. now there have been a lot of ways that's been distorted over the years and exploited. And, and I think there's a whole other thing we can talk about today about Jesus kingdom being a kingdom of abundance, about living with margins, even in the old Testament to provide for other people, not just yourself. So there's a lot of ways we can go today on this topic, I would think. Sure. The, uh, the, the, the corners of the fields being left ungleaned or un, um, unharvested so that the, 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 the strangers in society, the passers through <clears throat> the people who were without, um, home. Yeah. I get chills just thinking about that. Yeah. And I was you. talking to a guy not too long ago who his parents were farmers, one of our board members, and they did that. They literally left the fields, the edges of the fields unplowed and they wouldn't go back and pick up the extra i mean this was like in the 1920s or whatever like they were doing this because of the biblical precedent that you live with margins and i think the rest of us can learn from this too that you don't have every dollar allotted for so you have margins so you can help others and that's that's a whole other side of giving that we see in the old testament all the way through 
Right. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, in the days when those were established, you know, people m- m- took their grain and they made their bread by hand. It happened right there. Um, and right. And then uh, even up until the twenties, that would have been the case. Like a, a, a poor family would have still known how to do that. Most of us wouldn't know what to do. Like if we were destined, <laughs> we, we were given some grain, we wouldn't know what to do with grain because we think bread comes from the store. Like that's what we think right. it provides our grain, our, our bread. Um, or, right. or I'm not sure in Oklahoma, H-E-B is a grocery well, store. Growing up, <laughs> yeah, growing up, we used to drive by the one plant all the time on I-35 south of Fort Worth. Yeah. Oh man, it was it was heaven just driving by there. <laughs> it just smelled so good. Smelled like but yeah, we we up here we have Crest. Crest is the Oklahoma City chain. Oh, okay. Grocery that's store. your grocery so, store. Yeah, that's well, where we go. Yeah. Tyler comes to visit, and he's like, "We need HEBs." We need to get some. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any in Oklahoma, but um, there. Yeah. So that that idea of sharing, um, you know, uh, when it's not, <laughs> it's difficult to talk about giving these days because everybody has their kind of their own private economy, right? Like they, uh, every household has its own budget and it's you know it's established way right. of things, and uh, so tithing and, and giving. Uh, didn't always look like cash, right? It didn't, it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't like fill this coffer so that a board of trustees and stewards can make decisions about how we disperse this. Uh, it used to be giving was meeting the need in, in, a, in an immediate way, right? It was like, here is the right. person yeah. in need. Uh, here is the situation that's in need. Uh, and here's how we deal with it. I, I, so, so sometimes it gets a little complicated because, um, and, and I think here, here's a problem. Here's a struggle that I have is one time I got a reimbursement check and my, uh, and my paycheck was all together in one place. And this was years ago when I was a youth pastor and it was $666. And I said, Oh, this paycheck is the devil. Um, it is from Satan. Right. And I really, I thought Antichrist. I, what happened, what happens, you know, cause there's been times historically when the pastor was paid in, ca- in, in a check with a salary uh, so that they'd stop talking about the evils of money. Right. Like here. Okay, fine. We'll right, yeah. this economy so that, because historically pastors were paid through pounding, right? Like they were yeah, just not punching them. Yeah. Not, not, not pounding on them, but yeah. uh, bringing the things that they needed. Uh, and to- they had parsonages, so they didn't need housing. So it was like provide food, provide housing, kind of more of a barter system. Go right. ahead. And, and then there became a, a time when, oh yeah, well, if you're going to keep preaching about this, then we're going to shut you up by giving you a check. And now you have the same you have the same struggle that we have is making ends meet. I don't know if they thought of it oh. like that exactly, yeah. but it, it was well, an undercurrent. There, sure. there, there's at least one church that felt that way. And <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my past um, there, that, right. I wouldn't say that's true of everyone. And I don't think that that's certainly not the way that the church that I currently serve thinks about it. They're very proud to, you know, I talk about getting a different job, you know, I'll get another job and, and do, no, no, pastor, this is, we want you to do this full time. And they I had a board member, like get mad at me for saying that. Yeah. Like if it gets down to it, I'll get another job. No, we're not going to let you do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
there's a just telling you yeah well and well yeah and i'm not gonna let me starve to death either like that so you yeah know, right i appreciate your 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 thoughts on that that's very kind of you i love the fact that you feel that responsibility for me and my family but i feel it more than you do um right. <laughs> i will i will go get another job before i let us you know our house get repossessed and our cars all go back to the bank. yeah um well and i think people don't understand that that giving for the ministry is from the beginning so it's not like some people are like yeah just go out and get a real job right but but in the beginning you know of of the temple and of the priests like the priest family didn't get land because they were supposed to be taken care of by temple offerings and by food and so it was like this whole like the priests were supposed to be cared for by people and, and so I think people think that's like a, you know, a newer thing or, or it's been that way for a long, long time. And, and I will just tell my people like, you know, straight up, my family depends upon people being faithful and giving. Like if you want a full-time pastor and they have expressed that they do like that, that our well-being is tied up in their giving and yeah. We can't have staff. We can't have a senior pastor, whatever, or however many pastors and whatever configuration they are without people giving, uh, even though our buildings paid off and all those things, building expenses get expensive. I mean, we have right now a whole gym full of 22 year old air conditioners. So it's not going to be long and we know we're going to be investing some money. Sure. You know, it's just that, that kind of stuff. Right. So I tell them straight up, your tithe goes to support local ministry. It goes to support staff. It goes to support events that we do here as a church for the community. Yeah. But that's where it goes. Like we're not, you know, I'm not getting rich off of this thing. <laughs> I, I know that at my point, like with the church budget that I have, I haven't even thought about talking about a raise in the last five, six, seven years, whatever. And I have a master's degree. When I got that master's degree, I didn't get a bump, you know, like, like people do. So there's not an upward climb for most ministers. I hope people know that. Um, it's more of a, what is reasonable for our size church? What can we do? If I need to get a side job, I will. You know, these are things that I think most ministers, now I'm not going to say every minister, because I know there's some out there that are kind of in the, in, in the money game too, but but most there of us are. understand that yeah. this is this is a calling. Well, there are people who, you know, and and we've debated and we've made jokes and been silly about this. But, you know, um, I, I don't know that I have any other marketable skills. And so, oh, yeah, like I'm sort of relegated to this or, or sometimes I feel that way. I'm sure people would disagree, but sometimes you feel like this is all I've ever done. This is all I know how to do. Right. Um and so what well, does and would you be obedient if you did something else? Yeah. Well, the, and that's like, because really I've been called is, to it. <laughs> yeah. Can I do another thing and, you know, make a buck a different way? Uh, personally, I know that probably um, I, I would deal with distraction and the heaviness yeah. of distraction because I tend to throw myself at whatever I'm doing um, and, and forget that other things are going on. And so, um, so that, you know, keeping, and I don't do a great job of keeping a, a good s schedule and the calendar, uh, even as it is. So, so trying to do two things at once, which I have, I've had, you know, I've had full-time jobs on top of being a pastor and, um, and that, you know, that's not easy, easy work, 
but sometimes right. that's the calling and that's what you do and yeah. you take responsibility for that. And, and then, but it really, it really makes you appreciate the giving. Um, I tell you yeah. what makes me, and, and so all that, just to say this, what I appreciate um, more than the paycheck, right? Cause I appreciate, I like, I like having a paycheck. I like having a house. I like for Shelly to have what she wants. Um, and I like to bless my kids with the things that they want. Um, and, and I certainly appreciate being able to give them all what they need. Um, right. But even more than that, whenever we can serve the community around us and I don't have to go begging the congregation yeah. to get on board yeah. with it when they just see the responsibility that we have, like, you know, that though, that there are, there are old air conditioners in your gym, but you also know that there are some young men in your community who come and play basketball in that gym. And that is a point of escape from, from some other of life's pressures as a stress reliever. That is an opportunity to build relationships that have made a lasting impact in some lives. Um, you know that your current, that your building has been a community center where people have come to vote. It's been a place. It's just been a place of gathering. And so there's more to it than right. just air conditioning, right? Like those, yeah, yeah. you're providing a space in that's that that does more than just a worship center. Uh, and yeah, and and it is a worship center for the congregation. But it, how many people have uh, have made their vows to their loved one? In, oh man. In front of everyone right there. Just did it last week. Right. How many people have, somebody did. have been, you know, their farewell, their, their service of, uh, of, of remembrance, their, their funeral has been right. had there. You know, there's just so much that goes on. How many children have been raised in this space? How many, how many people have sought refuge here? How many times has someone, uh, you know, been able to uh, make a friend, make a new friend right here in this space, in this community center that we've provided this place of growth and health and beauty, you know, um, and refuge. Uh, th- right. Yeah. It's more than air conditioners. There's something else yeah. going on there. I think maybe defining a couple terms might help today. Like some people may not know what we talk about when we talk about tithing um, and versus an offering. Um, we started a Jubilee fund this year. That's kind of an offering based thing. That's just, I guess it's been a couple of years ago. That's just simply, we're going to use that money outside to help people in the community to do things outside our church. But Right. But when we talk about tithing, there is this level of kind of trust in one another. And this is a hard thing for us. And this is where I think pastors taking advantage of people really hurts the church, because a lot of pastors use this kind of health and wealth philosophy that says, you know, they take a couple of scriptures where it's like, if you sow this seed, it will reap this harvest or whatever, you know, and, and that becomes a whole philosophy of money. And then people give all their money and, and uh, these these pastors become very wealthy and we've seen it and it just betrays trust, in my opinion. Like like when you're when you're, you know, scraping by to give your your church all your money and you have a leader who's living, you know, in the one percent or whatever, uh, it just it just kind of hurts that trust. But but I think when we tithe, what we are, are called to do is we it's tithe is generally. And if you look like even in Genesis, like beginning of, of the Bible, 
that when someone is blessed, they give 10% back to God. And it's this idea of giving it to God and trusting it to God and ultimately to God's people, because God is not, you know, as this being who's, uh, you know, ever present, whatever, is not actually moving the money around. It's, it's people. And so, so it's this idea of saying, like, I'm giving this to my local church um, as a, that offering back to God for all God has done. And I'm trusting this local church congregation. I'm trusting the board. I'm trusting finance committees. I'm trusting pastors to use it um, in a way that is going to be beneficial for the kingdom. Sure. Um, and, Almost. and what, what yeah. we see more and more is that people want to dictate where that money goes. So, yeah. so people are a little less app these days to tithe to say, I'm just going to give it to God through God's church and just trust. And I think that's because of the trust that's been eroded by some, some of these oh, high absolutely. profile pastors. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but the idea there is that you release it and that it's not about where it goes. It's about your worship to God. It's about obedience. And then obviously you want to have people who are trustworthy overseeing those funds and, and, in our structure, and I know we're both Nazarene pastors, so it's probably pretty similar. We have church boards or finance committees that oversee those expenditures. And, uh, you know, if the pastor is spending money more than they should, um, there's questions asked and sure. things like that. You know, so, so there's definitely uh, that checks and balances. But the idea of tithing is an idea of obedience, first and foremost, to God, but also um, to also help build the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And those resources are important. So um, it's not that we won't survive without them. I mean, we, we both know yeah. that there are people who come to church all the time that never tithe and, and God does what God does. Like things seem to work out and surely, you know, surely do. a couple months ago, I was just handed a, $10,000 check from an estate that I had no idea was coming. You know, it's just like, yep. it's like God works through obedience in all kinds of ways. And, and so it is it, when you, when you realize that there are people who are willing to sacrifice and, and to worship in that way and to trust God and to trust even you as a leader and the church. Um, it is, it, I mean, it's something to be really grateful for. I, sure. I tell yeah. my people all the time, I'm so thankful for how generous you are. Right. It's almost uh, as if the gathering on Sunday morning is essentially uh, giving testimony to what the giving has accomplished. Right. There's. Yeah. And, right. And we, we leave that out sometimes. Sometimes it, it becomes about, you know, a consumer culture of uh, was the music good enough to bless me. Right. <laughs> like, right. Which is, yeah. which, you know, give, if that's the case, then giving becomes even more essential because if, if we don't learn to give, uh, then, then humility is not a part of our, our makeup. Right. The, right. Yeah. We just, in, if we're always in this consumer mindset, then that is a very arrogant uh, way. And that puts us at the center. And so it does, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Giving, giving is a, uh, is a way of taking yourself out of the center and out of the limelight and saying, I'm giving, uh, you know, and then there's this, this is burden of testimony. Our congregation gave well, and we met these boys who were in uh, CPS care uh, in an emergency shelter here in town. And our congregation just couldn't live with the fact that they were just stuck in this, this emergency 
you know, place. And here they are, three teenagers housed with a bunch of little kids. And they were like, we've got to do something for these boys. They're going to go crazy in there. Uh, we need to help them. We need to, we just need to make life a little more fun, a little more enjoyable and not so serious all the time. Can we take them to Six Flags? So we took them to Six Flags. And the church paid for it. And then I get to celebrate that. I went to Six Flags and paid and paid for, you know, the boys got to play games and do a ring toss and all this kind of stuff. And even one of them won a big stuffed animal because he put a ring on a bottle, right? Like, which are not games that I usually pay for my own children to do. Right. Uh, yeah. But I got to celebrate that it was the generosity of the congregation that made the whole thing possible. Right. Yeah. And, and that's essential to the, to giving is the celebration that the generosity of God's people makes things possible, whether it's a trip to six flags or it's providing for the food and, and housing, right. and, you know, shelter and all the things, you know, whether it's essentials or whether it's just the joy of life uh, that we're, that we're in the celebration opportunities, uh, regardless of what the generosity went to cover, went to pay for, it needs to be celebrated that that happened because people were willing to give and not be the center of the story, but put somebody else at the center of the story and care for them. You know? Yeah. One of my favorite things about being a pastor is that I'm often on the end of giving out those things, like, because people <laughs> yeah. are working during the week. Uh-huh, and sure. so like, you know, not too long ago, since we've started this Jubilee fund, we've just known we had money there. And what's funny is that fund gets replenished a lot faster than oh. any other. Fund, oh, people are like, if you're going to give those to people and we did something similar just to encourage our teachers this last week, I was like, encouragement is a good expense. Like Jubilee was about, you know, a do over. It was about setting people free. It was about, you know, it was about a whole big thing of getting a new start. And, and it wasn't just about the money. It was about freedom celebration. So, but this, we were able to help somebody, you know, who was on the verge of homelessness and his truck wasn't running. So it's kind of that cycle. Like if you can't get to work, you can't get out of where you're at and then you can't earn a paycheck and then you right. can't provide for a house. And so I was like, I had a limit that I said at the shop and I left the truck with a guy and I said, Hey, if you can fix it for this, we'll pay for it. You know, cause we couldn't do it everything. Right. Obviously. Right. But, um, and he got it running for that. He was a Nazarene. The, the mechanic was, and he was like, yeah, I'll get them going. And so here we are, we have this guy who now has a truck that runs. So now he can go to work and he can get paid and he can pay rent and he can do some things. And he's sitting there, I felt good about just spending it. And now this is another part about giving that I think, you know, as you give and as you trust your local congregation, you trust your pastors, you trust finance committee, whoever, um, then it's out of your hands. Like if, we have this scrutiny on us as pastors that if we are misusing funds that have been given in good faith, we have to answer for that, right? And so it's the same for this, this man. Like we fix his truck. Where he goes from there is up to him, right? So, um, and it, it's, it's kind of that way in giving. It's this idea of, and I think I want to get into this before we finish if we have time, but that we live in a kingdom of abundance in the kingdom of God versus a kingdom of scarcity. And the kingdom of scarcity says, oh, if I give it away and they misuse it, well, then I've wasted it. Like it's gone. Or, or if I, right. you know, if we do something for six flags, do they really need to go? You know, these kinds of things. It's like, there's not enough. We got to hold on to it all. We can't, we can't be loose 
like open handed with things. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. I mean, I think that's essential. That's what it means to be a person who gives with a joyful heart, with a, with a grateful heart, right? Like I'm so grateful. I'm passing this along. This is the excess of what I need. Or even if it's not the excess of what I need, it's I, I'm going to learn to do without so that others can don't have to do without, right? Like, right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do without some of the, my luxuries so that others don't have to do without their essentials. Uh, well, and even think, just realizing that as we are open-handed towards others, I just love that posture of open-handed. That's my yeah. thought about giving yeah. is like, oh yeah, because then we're open to receive, like we can receive and we can give. And it's not give so that you can receive. And a lot of pastors get on that. They start to say, well, if you give, it's coming back to you. Oh, it's That's not it. Test but me in this just and a, see, right? Like yeah. the, the, the scripture. <laughs> test me in this and see. And we're like, yeah, yeah, test him and see. He'll do great things. And you're like, yeah, but that shouldn't be the motivation. The motivation right. be because we because sharing is worth it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like because that. when you share, it seems like there's always enough. Like it's like mm -hmm. you're just when you hold things loosely. Sure. Um, there's there's always more than enough to go around and Jesus and his like miracles. And I mean, the feeding yeah. of the 5,000, you always see there's leftovers. He's trying to help us know I'm going to take care of you and there's going to be more than enough. And sometimes and, that's miraculous, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's miraculous, but sometimes it's because whenever you share and you plan to share what happens when you plan to give you, you adjust value systems to make, make room for that, you know, cause you right. say to yourself, well, I'm not going to buy that uh, because right. I don't need that. That's excessive. That's more than I need. Uh, and I, and that would hinder my ability to give my, it would and maybe just ability. saying that in this culture is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> just the ability to say, I don't need more. I don't need like, more. I, right. yeah. like, I don't need another, what's your my Who's it or uh, yeah? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. Any Dr. Seuss children's book that was yeah. highlighting the the more things that we need. I, I had this uh, experience a while back. A uh, lady was uh, sitting on the front row uh, at church on a Sunday morning. Uh, she we had been praying for her a job. She had gotten the job, um, and you know I just wanted to know what was up. And she was she was heavy hearted or she looked heavy hearted. She was in tears and she was sitting on the front row just before service began, nothing was going on, just sitting there. And I just went and sat beside her and I said, you okay? And she was obviously crying. And uh, she said, yeah, pastor, um, you know, we prayed that I would get that job. And I, I did, I got the job, uh, but I finally got my first paycheck. And this is the first Sunday that I get to give. Mm. And uh, man, it makes me emotional just thinking about it now. Um, you know, yeah. that, uh, and that I get to give, I get to give, I get to give. And she, she was blessed to say that. Um, and then, uh, and then also, you know, I know that during COVID we had people who were giving, right. And, and then lose right. their job, lot, had people lose their jobs during COVID, but we had decided as a finance committee to set money aside um, so that it would be a COVID fund. Right. And any, any, any money that, you know, uh, that was above and beyond what we needed, we just set it aside that way. If any of the folks, uh, who were a part of our community of faith, you know, lost a job during COVID or was having a hard time making a payment on a, on a house or a car or whatever that we could, we could help them. 
And, uh, and we did, I mean, we've had people who said, Hey, listen, I lost my job. I'm not going to be able to make my house payment and I'm not sure what to do. And I say, well, how much is it? And they'd say, what do you mean? How much? Well, how much is it? Like, we're going to, we set money aside and I, the, we're going to, we're going to not let you go without. And they, and people's house payments, you know, we made, we, we helped them, you know, pay for their car payments so they could get to and from work. We did, we did things that, you know, uh, and, and the response is, well, how, how are you? Well, it's your money anyway. I mean, right. Yeah. You, yeah. You've been giving You're part of this. Um, and it, you know, I mean, we help people who weren't giving and who weren't a part right, of yeah. giving, but most of the people that we were helping, you know, I got to say to them, this is your tithe anyway. And you should know that your tithe helped, you know, other people and without, you know, divulging personal information and protecting everyone's privacy, uh, we, right. you know, we, we were able to help people along the way, you know, even, even this, like we, we've got a church plant going on in Seguin right now. Uh, and the church planter from the day that he and his wife moved here and said, we feel like God is calling us to plant this church. Uh, they started tithing to wayfinders and wayfinders took that money. And, uh, you know, we didn't make a big deal out of it. We just took their tithe. I just had my bookkeeper said, take their tithe, put it in an account. And when I, I say I did, this is a decision of a committee. It wasn't just me by myself. These were right. collaboration and wise people. And, and that's what they did for me. Whenever I moved here to plant a church, someone took my tithe and put it in an account uh, that was for that church plant. And so when they were like, can, can the church help us do some things? We said, yeah, sure. We took every cent that you've ever given the church and we've set it aside and it is accumulated to this much. And we are willing to add some to that, whatever, you know, you know, and we, we talked about what that, how much that would be. And, but they got to take their own tithe and now they, uh, you know, they, they do all of the service and the, the things that they do in, in their, uh, in their neck of the woods, in their neighborhood, uh, they do it. Uh, with the church's money, right? But essentially, right. it was just their tithe. It's just yeah, like we just awesome. we were just able to yeah. give that back to them for the ministry that God had put on their heart, and then add to that, right? So yeah, uh, giving giving matters, and it does incredible things when we're willing to share. It does incredible things in our heart, and it does incredible things for the people who are recipients of the things we share. Yeah, and the, you know, I've heard a lot of people that you know have a lot of tough stories about the church. And I, I don't discredit any of those because I think each story is different, but I will just say that I've met some of the most generous people (laughs) in the church. Like I had a guy, you're talking about COVID that came to us during COVID and said, Hey, I'm getting these stimulus checks and I really don't need them for anything. (laughs) So if the church needs them for anything, you just give me a call. If anybody needs help, just give me a call, Mm -hmm. you know, and people like that. I mean, in this world are really, really rare. Um, and so just the idea that um, there's this idea of we don't have to grasp so tightly. We've been preaching Ecclesiastes and at some points it's been difficult because basically Ecclesiastes says, you're all going to die. We're all going to die. Just just like, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> but what it does remind us is that all this stuff we value so much is just vapor. Mm-hmm. And so we should be open-handed with it. We should receive it from God. Give thanks when we when we have a windfall. I mean, my wife had a great year at her 
company this year and she was rewarded for all her work. And, yeah, you know, we're celebrating that, but also don't get so attached to it. Be willing <laughs> to give it away. Right. You know, right. and there may be a day where you don't have it. And in that day, you trust the Lord the same way. But but I think that's one of the things Ecclesiastes has really just pointed out is like this stuff. It's not lasting. So enjoy it. Use it like we have to use money to get around in the world. That's how the world works. Right. But don't get attached to it. And don't feel like if it's not there, that there's nothing God is doing uh, in your life, you know. Yeah. And obviously, if somebody in your community is destitute, then probably other people should help make that not their reality. Sure. I mean, that's kind of what sure. the church is for, right? Absolutely. That's, that's uh, just not do. letting each other suffer. Right. But, but when you have those good times, celebrate them. And when you're in the downtime, because we'll all go through it, there's a season for everything, then then maybe you have to rely on somebody else even. That's probably harder for most Americans <laughs> well, than anything but, else. But isn't, right? that, isn't that what clergy, the, the example that clergy are supposed to set is uh, we're asking you to give um, to support others and to, uh, to show our faith in the system that we're asking you to participate in. We're going to make our livelihood dependent upon your faithfulness. Yeah. Like this and then is, we're going to give along with you and I'm with you. I'm not going to take it off the top and say, well, just take it off my salary because that takes away my obedience. That's, yeah, that's, I need to know, worship with this. Yeah. This I've is heard some pastors saying, well, it's, it's just giving back into the system that's paying me. But um, for me, there is an act of taking that offering and worshiping as you put it in. And then obviously I feel like God, if God's going to call anybody else to give above and beyond their normal tithe, it should be us as pastors to support sure. initiatives and support our Jubilee fund, you know, those kinds of things. Like I, I think we should be the first to give in those extra offerings because we're calling on others to do it. So there's, there is for us, there's the same obedience and we also rely on other people's obedience, which yeah. is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think people always realize that, that, that your pastor, if you're a pastor of a local church, or if you're, if you attend a local church, like, it's not like a big network, I don't know how they all work out, but just a parish church, I should say, your pastor is directly receiving help from your giving. Mm -hmm. And that's just a reality. And we do appreciate it. Like, absolutely. I, like I said, I know I'm not going to get rich, but I feel like I've been taken care of way more than I deserve sometimes oh, even absolutely. like God has blessed us yeah. in ways that I would have never guessed. Sure. Um, I wonder you know, sometimes and, if I've earned this paycheck. What yeah. Did, what exactly did I do? Um, yeah. And oftentimes, it's, you know, it's not, it's not terribly different from what the the parish is doing, right? Like, yeah, you know, right. I'm getting paid to do, I'm a professional Christian. That's what I am. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that could cause some issues. Yeah. You have to wrestle with that a little bit. And also like, not just the paycheck, like the house I live in was sold to me by a member of our church. And they said to me, we want our pastor to have a place where they can entertain people because we know that's a big part of what you do. Mm -hmm. And the backyard is magnificent. It's my favorite part of the house. Wonderful. And we got it for way less. I mean, we could not have on the market. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they just said, we're going to make sure that you can do this if you want to do it. And, you know, that's, 
a whole other level of generosity oh, you experience yes. sometimes as a Absolutely. pastor is that Absolutely. people who just go out of their way to uh you know do things for you like the other day i i wanted a prime rib i mean that's not a necessity i want a prime rib from the base because they were on sale there and so i told one of my members who can get on base and i was like i'll pay you for it and he's like have paula bake me some cookies well i know her cookies are not the value of that prime rib like <laughs> like i was gonna smoke it in my smoker and you know it's just like generosity breeds generosity i feel like Goodness. and if you can Absolutely. create a generous culture um yeah. It's when we're all wanting our own, right? It's like we're yeah. all looking out for ourselves. Well, and and you know, uh there's there's political ramifications. Uh there's uh, economic uh you know, greater there's a greater picture here too. If we do this and we do this well, then some of the laws that keep people from uh the from thriving uh don't don't make it on the books because we have a a more uh robust understanding of the way the world works and the way economics work reparations when they're when they're when they're brought up uh for those who were oppressed uh, don't get smirked at don't get disrupted right, yeah uh instead they get dealt with and and yeah. and then there's the there's repent true repentance begins to happen and re- intimacy and relationships when we're sharing things we're not oppressing each other if we're if we're involved in each other's lives yeah in an economic, right? So, and I mean, that can be all kinds of level from sharing, like in those big world issues, like you're talking about to like, Hey, you need a lawnmower. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it runs all kinds of, yeah. Yeah. But I think giving ultimately to get back to what we started with is why do we do it? I think it's, it's a posture of discipleship. Yeah. It's human. Really? Yeah, it's 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 taking yourself out of the limelight. It's, it's recognizing that God God can do more than we ask or imagine. Um, right. That God cares and is not going to let yeah. us, and that He wants us to care. Right. Because He could just fix it all. Right. right? Like if it you know the the temptation of Christ uh, when He's in the wilderness, uh, one of them is uh, to turn these stones into bread. Right. He could turn right. the stones into bread, but there's enough bread. There's enough wheat for yeah. the harvest. Uh, there's enough, Mother, Mother Teresa said, there's enough for everyone's need. There's just not enough for everyone's greed. Right. I'll never forget Rob Bell's NUMA video. When yeah. He said, and this was years ago. I don't know the stats now, but he said, there's enough. We could feed the whole world with just what Americans spend on ice cream every year. Yeah. And also, there was another, ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. There was another study uh, that said that we could make sure everybody in the whole world had clean, fresh water uh, with the money that we spend on one Black Friday. Man. Yeah. So that's uh, for us as Christians who live in America, that, that's a little convicting. Yeah. But we should also know that this is a world of abundance and there is enough to go around. Yes. So we don't have to grasp it so tightly. And we don't just need more because it's chasing after the wind. Sorry, I had to bring Ecclesiastes back. <laughs> bring it back into there, yes. But uh, yeah, no, well, it's been I, good. Yeah, it has been a good conversation. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, now I'm convicted. <laughs> <laughs> I I know there's always ways we can improve on being simpler, and uh, also being more willing to give. I, I I know God's always challenging me in those areas, but 
but I have been a recipient of that too. And so I know what a blessing it is both to give and to receive. And absolutely. Um, I do believe it's more about a posture of our faith than, well, the church just needs money. Yeah. Cause it the really church is. will go on. Oh, yeah. even if we have to meet in somebody's house, we don't have any buildings, mm-hmm. whatever. If the financial, if the finances, all the pastors have to work, we're called to this. We'll do what we need to do. But the posture is where uh, we find that we can receive God even more. I think when we're, when we're ready to receive and we're ready to give back, it's just this whole flow. Yeah. There, there's an issue of trust and trust. Yeah. That, uh, you know, you can trust in naivete or you can trust out of courage. And, uh, and so that blind trust is, I don't have any use for it, but that courageous trust that says, I believe that God will honor what I'm, what I'm giving here. I believe that the people yeah. that, I'm, that I'm worshiping with, that I'm in this community of faith with, I believe they will honor it. Right. Like there's, right. there's, there ought to be questions of if I, if I venture out and I do something in faith that I think God is asking me to do, and I tell my brothers and sisters in Christ about it, uh, will they come alongside me and help me get it done. Uh, yeah. And, and so there, there's a good reason to give right there, just because you believe in the passions of the people that you, that you serve alongside. Right. And you don't yeah. want to go without. And, um, and you're right. Trust is where it's it really all lies and no relationship can exist without trust. And so the more we trust God, the probably the more generous we will be. So. I hope so. Well, love you, man. It's been great. Glad to to be back with you. I know vacations and summer have gotten us, but it's good to have a podcast. So we'll do it again, hopefully a lot sooner this time around. Sounds good. And I know in a couple of weeks when our preaching groups together, we'll definitely all get together and have a fun podcast. And add some more voices to it. That'll be fun. There you go. Take care. Take care. Bye. We'll see you. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.